Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Today's Market Explained, a four-star podcast and media series. I'm Brian Castle, your host, and I'm here with my, uh, my regular co-host, Mr. Chris Reardon. Chris, are you there? I'm there. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, glad to be on and talk a little bit about, about the markets. Excellent. Well, we're going to do our standard update today on the 7th of, of March, and uh, we've had a very, very interesting year to begin the year. Uh, we saw a big uh, market rally and then a big sell-off. And uh, Chris, where do we stand on the positioning of the market today? Yeah, so international equities is still holding that number one position. Um, it's at 240, 249 tally points and actually gained four tally points uh, since the last podcast. So we continue to see international equities uh, maintain that strength in the number one position. Uh, cash, on the other hand, in the number two position has remained relatively flat. It lost one point uh, since the last podcast. It's at 207 now. Um, so it, it's there, there's a pretty big difference now between the one and two positioning that that's formed there. Uh, and then in third is domestic equities. It's at 197 and it was unchanged or flat as well. Uh, and so, you know, in that two and three position, what we're seeing between cash and domestic equities is uh, we could potentially see a flip there uh, or we could see domestic equities fade or just, you know, hold here. So uh, that two and three position are relatively close though. In the fourth position, we have commodities, and that's at 175 tally points and actually gained four points uh, from our last podcast. So uh, we're seeing commodities re-strengthen slightly on that fourth position. And then fifth is fixed income at 137 tally points, minus five from the last podcast. And then in last place still is currencies, uh, and that's what, 124 tally points and minus one. So not a whole lot of change. I think the most interesting thing uh, to note would be in that number two and three position. Uh, could we potentially see a switch there uh, or not? That'll be interesting to see. And then obviously I think commodities, if we continue to see strength out of out of commodities as well, uh, that would be interesting. Yes. So not a lot of change, although um, we did see a, a big rally, a short squeeze rally at the beginning of the year, Chris. And, and then we've seen a sell-off. Now, um, everyone was expecting that sell-off to continue. Then there were uh, lots of discussions about short squeezes. Uh, and so that's kind of where, where, where we sit right now. Um, but uh, international equities are still in charge. Uh, domestic equities are not far behind in the number, you know, number three spot, close to number two. And commodities are gaining again with oil moving, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, more oil where he's getting at least a little bit of a short-term bump here. A lot of it's based off of China and potential reopening scenarios there. So we're seeing a little bit of a bump in oil again now. Right. So uh, like we said, we started the year uh, this year with a decided rally where even the S&P was up about 10% and the NASDAQ was up about 13% at one point. So now lots of hedge funds are dumping stock. Then about a week ago, there was a talk of, a, of, of another short squeeze. And a short squeeze, of course, is when uh, there are short sellers who are worried about 
um, getting caught if the market were to go higher because they lose money when the market goes higher. So then they have to buy back and then that's the squeeze, right? So um, the short squeeze means the, the market rallies. That's what happened in January. Everyone believes that was a short squeeze. So there's talk of that again today, but the Fed, uh, Chairman Powell came out today and said, oh, no, 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 we're going to be raising rates and we're going to raise rates maybe even sharper and quicker. And Chris, I, I have to tell you, I don't think I've heard Chairman Powell change his tune one bit. Have you? No, I don't think he, they've been relatively transparent, um, you know, making sure to, to tell everyone that they're going to stay the course. Uh, I think you just have people in the market that are <laughs> trying to think they're smarter than everyone trying to make bets and, and thinking that he's going to relent or that, you know, something's going to change and maybe he's just posturing. So it's been interesting. So the Fed keeps saying the same thing, but then there's weeks or maybe a month or so between uh, conversations so every time there's a gap of time there, people start assuming the markets are going to go higher. And uh, of course, now they come out today again and say they're going to raise rates, rates even faster. In our, our last podcast, we talked about how the Fed said they might go to five and a half to six percent. Uh, there's a, a, a Fed tool where you can see the expectation built into the market pricing. And it's saying right now about six and a quarter will be the terminal rate. Uh, meaning that's where the, the cycle ends uh, on the high side. And then maybe interest rates will fade from there. Uh, and that's the Fed funds rate, which is the only rate that they control. Um, so if there's going to be a short squeeze, it's not happening today and markets are all down 1%. But in checking with my traders, they still think there's going to be a short squeeze, but now it's just going to be a little bit delayed until we get past the Fed chairman's comments. But there's still going to be another short squeeze as there are a lot of people who took short positions in this downturn when things turned down. Uh, so for most investors, this is all inside baseball and probably not worth uh, dealing with. Uh, as professional managers, we always have to deal with that to some extent, uh, but we're clearly still, Chris, in a bear market. Uh, we have bottomed so far in October, and so we're not sure, and I've said this many times on this podcast, you're never really sure that the market had bottomed for many, many months after its bottom. So here we are in March and we're not sure whether the October bottom was the final bottom. Um, you were pretty sure in 2009, we were pretty sure 2020 uh, when the market bottomed, but we're not sure right now. Um, and if the Fed's gonna keep raising rates and the economy is not gonna, gonna go get better if the Fed's raising rates and the market's not gonna go up a lot while the Fed's raising rates. So if they keep doing that, then you know, all bets are off, right? We could go lower, break the October lows, go lower. And so we're, that we're, that's why we're being very defensive. But in the short run, yeah, there could be a short squeeze and the market could rally, but then it could go lower. So when the Fed finally, finally signals they're gonna stop raising rates, uh, well, then the market probably will bottom right around then. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that, and I think it's important to note that, you know, and we don't know, I don't think anyone knows besides maybe the people, the federal chairman himself. Uh, but, you know, they're just taking, I think, you know, month by month, uh, quarter by quarter. So, you know, I, there's a lot of variables on this. Obviously, we got a lot of geopolitical issues out there. There's a lot of things that people could think that they have it all figured out. And, you know, all of a sudden something goes off in Ukraine or, or something and that changes the whole equation. So uh, we really don't know. But I think it's important to note, like you said, uh, Brian, you know, all we can do is follow along with what what they're, you know, 
mentioning as they come out. They've been relatively transparent so far. So if you kind of just take them at, at their word there, it'll give us a good indication as when, um, when the markets might start to bottom. Absolutely. Well, and the markets will bottom when there's a sense that the economy is going to get better. And the economy usually doesn't get better for six months after the markets bottom, uh, but the market's signaling that. So, um, but the problem right now is the Fed is going to keep raising rates if the economy is better. So we're in the situation, Chris, where good news is bad news because if the good news comes out, the Fed wants the economy to slow down, inflation to slow down, and so that's why good news is bad news uh, right now. And uh, hopefully there will come a time again when good news is actually good news, but not right now. So, uh, Chris, tell us about uh, what's going on. We got some metrics on the economy. Yep. So, uh, in the housing market, we got a couple numbers to kind of wrap up last year. So, the uh, S and P CoreLogic um, National Home Price Index uh, rose 5.8 percent on an annual basis in December, uh, and that was down from the annual rate of 7.6 percent in November. So, we continue to see home prices decline uh, month over month. Uh, home prices were slowing, um, so the housing market continued to slow. Uh, and on top of that, existing home sales dropped 17.8% uh, in the total year of 2022. And that was the lowest level since 2014. So, you know, that it's really interesting because I think people already forget, but a year ago today, you know, first half or the first quarter really um, was still a very strong housing market. You know, rates had, hadn't risen yet, January, February, certainly. You know, it wasn't really until you got to March, April, May, uh, that the housing, that the rates started, you know, taking effect. And you almost had what you're kind of talking about, Brian, you almost had like a short squeeze really there in the housing market as people just rushed to kind of buy, uh, buy a house to get in before rates were too high. Um, so you had kind of that, that run right there. And then it wasn't really till June or July, you really had things level out and really start to slow down. So uh, that's yeah. that uh, drop of 17.8% was mostly reflected in the, the second half of the year. So if the whole year was seven down 17, but the first four months or so were up, that means the second half or so was really bad uh, to get it to 17. Okay, well, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So, uh, and then the personal consumption expenditures price index, which is uh, the index that the Federal Reserve really looks at to try to gauge inflation, uh, came in at 5.4% in January. Uh, so still relatively high, if you guys remember, and they, they have reiterated this, their target is uh, 2% still. So uh, that's still elevated. Uh, the core index, which excludes food and energy, was at 4.7%. So that that's still really high. And that's a good indication that there is still a lot of systematic inflation there. Uh, it's not just high gas prices or, or food costs, which we know does have a uh, large impact. Uh, the CPI, um, Consumer Price Index, is another uh, gauge people look at. That came in at 6.4% in January, uh, and the December read was 6.5%. So you know, we're, what we're really seeing is this deceleration of the, of, uh, the decline, really. So we're seeing that kind of flatten out, uh, which is a bad sign, potentially, that inflation is either moving back upwards uh, or it's kind of restrengthening in certain areas again. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how the Fed kind of looks at that. Um, Brian, do you want to? Yeah, and the reaccelerate. I think it, it, there's a sense now that inflation will reaccelerate. Uh, the conditions that led us here are still here, uh, with oil prices going up again. Uh, and you're going to mention a little bit about PPI. So uh, with uh, you know inflation not going down, the administration keeps saying, "Oh, inflation's under control." 
it's clearly not under control. That's a political statement, not a factual statement. So um, and that and that is why the Fed chief keeps saying we're going forward here, folks, and we're going to keep raising rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to kind of go off what you had mentioned, Brian, yeah, the producer's price index, which, you know, we look at the producer's price index is a good, um, I would say, look forward at what uh, inflation might be, because this is obviously what the, the people building the goods have to have to take in. So they're going to pass that, that on, post that on to the consumer. That rose 6% in January, which was down from 6.5% in December. But uh, once again, still just a slowing deceleration there. Uh, and potentially, um, you know, uh, um, re-rising again, you know, inflation coming back. So uh, wages and salaries grew 0.9% in January. Um, that's more than twice as fast as, uh, you know, they grew in December. Uh, a lot of that has to do with some uniquenesses, I would say, like uh, annual raises kicking in in January. There are minimum wage increases for states that implemented new laws taking into effect there. So, uh, but I mean, even factoring that in, that's still a very high read, which does show you know, in certain areas, I think the job market is very tight still, uh, which is, I think, still propping up a little bit of um, the economy, um, you know, especially in certain areas. We've talked on this podcast about travel is still very hot right now. You know, a lot of people still want to travel. Hotels are, you know, you know, still it's really hard to find hotels in certain areas and they cost a lot more. So um, there are very hot parts of the U.S. market, I believe, still our economy, and there are areas that are slowing. Um, I think one of the biggest surprises that came out, uh, the U.S. retail spending rose 3% in January, so uh, we continue to see the consumer be strong, which is very important, and the Fed, I'm sure, is looking at that uh, as they continue to raise rates, because as long as the consumer spend, or the consumer in the U.S. remains strong, uh, that's a good sign overall for the economy, because the U.S. consumer is a very, very large part of of the U.S. economy, obviously. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I'll mention is the U.S. Chicago PMI uh, Purchasing Managers Index slid to 43.6 in February, uh, which came in much weaker than expected. So it's this, you know, I think to sum up, it's really this kind of, um, I would say, uh, topsy-turvy market. On one end, you have the housing market, which as expected is starting to slow. So we are seeing certain sectors, certain markets slow. The other end, you have, you know, spending is still looking good. Wages and salaries still continue to grow. Um, you know, so you have really two forces pushing on inflation, right? You have housing prices pushing it down, but then you have, you know, wages, you know, bringing it up. People are spending, they're willing to spend even with you know, food costing more, pushing it up. So, uh, we're really in this this equilibrium uh, kind of Goldilocks type market, I would say. It's interesting, Chris. Plus, the leading indicators, uh, leading economic indicators, which is a, an amalgam of different indicators together, are down now ten months in a row. We've never had a period of time where we've seen ten months in a row and not had a recession. So uh, now, many people, of course, feel we had a recession last year, uh, even though there were two positive quarters. The underlying shows a recession in the U.S. But now everyone believes that the Fed will sink the economy into a recession to save the inflation uh, from ravaging the economy, which could be even worse. So, um, yeah, so we're looking for a recession here, most likely, but maybe the markets will figure that out quickly and, and discount that. And we don't go a lot lower. So time will only tell how the markets react to that. Um, so thanks, Chris, for the report. Uh, there's some new patterns emerging in retail sales. Chris talked about how retail sales were strong. And it used to be uh, that 
retail sales would accelerate for the holiday season in November and December. And now for the third year in a row, uh, you know, that pattern is changing. So instead of accelerating in, in November and December and then crashing in January, now consumers are buying early in October to avoid chasing high prices in the holiday season then buying uh, uh, you know, in accelerating fashion in January. So it's happened now three years in a row. So maybe things are changing there, Chris. It's quite interesting. Um, yeah, and, no, sure. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, that's enough on, on our economy. I will, I will mention that part of the reason why there's different cross currents in this economy is that, you know, not all the world's economies have recovered in the same fashion. Uh, Europe is a little bit behind, six months behind America as far as recovery. And China has been locked down for most of the last three years. So there's a lot of pent up spending. And so uh, that's reflected in the, the shares of stocks in China. The markets have been very rough. Now they're moving up. Now uh, we've uncovered a lot of issues with China and China-US relations. And uh, you know, a lot of people are very scared. We've got Chinese uh, um, balloons flying through our air, doing surveillance and Clearly, uh, China is getting very, very aggressive and trying to take world leadership away from America. So it's a little scary, um, but the stocks are going up. So as long as the stocks are going up, investors can make money in, in Chinese stocks by trading Chinese stocks that are listed on American exchanges. Uh, and of course, you're not stuck there forever. You can always sell those shares if you want to. But right now, there does seem to be an opportunity in Chinese stocks. Um, but the good news is the Biden administration, um, although they seem to be l uh, lighter on China than the previous administration, they have had meetings to move mo manufacturing over to other countries like India or the ASEAN region, uh, Cambodia, Laos, all those countries, Vietnam, uh, and get out of China. Uh, one of the presidential candidates announced our former president, uh, Donald Trump, has said if he's elected, he will uh, move to end all of our manufacturing in China and go to other countries that are more favorable to America. So, so that trend is happening, but question is how, how quickly does it happen? And, you know, uh, it does, does a lot of things happen in the meantime. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, Chris. Um, so uh, let's move on to the kind of the general, what we see out there, Chris, I know we're talking about apartment rents are falling and a bunch of other things. Yep. So uh, we're starting to finally see apartment rents uh, fall. So renters with new leases in January or to start 2023 paid a medium rent price that was uh, three and a half percent lower uh, than what they paid in August of 2022. So it's a pretty, it's a little over a quarter there and uh, already a three and a half percent drop in prices is a good sign. I mean, obviously the housing market's been tough and that's with the housing market being tough to purchase. Uh, a lot of people have been forced to rent um, and so seeing those fall, I think, is a good sign that uh, hopefully frees up, uh, you know, consumers and, and people to, to be able to go spend more or save money to purchase a house. Uh, the other thing we're kind of seeing out there with the recent news of the Fed continuing to move forward, we're starting to see the dollar strengthen again. Um, it's strengthening for the first time since September, uh, which was the last time really the market started kind of to discount the fact that the Fed might they knew the Fed was going to raise, certainly, um, but they started to discount the fact that they thought they were going to stop. And I think the projection was as early as May of this year. Um, so we started to see the dollar um, weaken based off of that because projections were maybe a, a Fed stopping raising rates or halting in May. Uh, now that the market is kind of digesting the new information and the new speculation that the Fed is going to raise 
potentially more or even continue to raise higher at higher rates, uh, we're starting to see that dollar re-strengthen. So uh, that has a lot of implications, especially on the U.S. economy, U.S. markets, and the global markets. So um, now that we could see that coming down the pipeline. Uh, lithium prices. So lithium, if you go back a year or two, was really a, a hot, uh, kind of the, the hot word, if you will, because lithium is a large component for electric vehicles and things like that. So Tesla was obviously a hot stock. Um, a lot of people looked at lithium, lithium miners trying to get kind of an inside track instead of buying Tesla, which are already gone up a thousand percent. They thought they could get lithium and almost get exposure as a derivative there. So lithium prices, uh, though, have plummeted as of late as supply has far outpaced demand. Uh, in fact, lithium is projected to be worth just $34,000 a ton this next year, compared to an average of $53,000 a ton this year. So a uh, potential huge drop in lithium prices. Um, and then the last couple of things I'll mention, Pfizer uh, right now, obviously the, the company that had uh, has been, I think, on everyone's mind since the COVID pandemic and everything, they're in preliminary talks to acquire a Segan. So Segan is known for their targeted cancer therapies. So uh, they're looking to um, you know, acquire and expand their, their um, uh, you know, uh, health health aspects. So Intel, and then the uh, Intel released a software platform um, that is targeted for quantum computing developers. So this would allow developers to build quantum algorithms uh, to eventually run on quantum computers. Uh, this is huge. I mean, this is, this is going to, when eventually quantum computers come out, um, which it's not an if, I believe it is a when, um, it's going to change everything. I mean, if you imagine the stock market, there's a lot of, you know, these computers can can process things um, 10 times plus, uh, millions of times faster than, than our standard computers. So uh, it'll be really interesting. The fact that they're rolling out this, um, this developing platform shows that, you know, they are close and that is something coming in the next 10 years or so. And then the last thing I'll mention is Amazon just rolled out a new uh, program to allow um, workers to be able to use stock as collateral for homes. So under this arrangement with better.com, Amazon workers will be able to pledge their shares uh, for loans uh, for down payments instead of having to come up with 20% or they can pledge their shares and this company will take that um, and you know, call that for their, for their down payment. So uh, interesting there, I think some of this is to allow for as Amazon and a lot of the tech companies have cut jobs and even lowered uh, salaries, there it's been one of the one of the sectors that has been hit. Um, I think it's to allow still allow other uh, their, their uh, employees to afford. In some places like San Francisco, Seattle, these astronomical home prices allows them to kind of still be able to somewhat compete there for for homes. Yes, interesting. Thank you, Chris. Um, you mentioned the thing about pharmaceuticals. You know, it might be tough for pharmaceuticals going forward because, you know, they had so much cash flow from the government uh, buying uh, all the vaccines. And, and that was really so much of a driver of their earnings the last couple of years. But now they have all that cash and they're using it, as you mentioned, to buy companies. Um, and, and there's no, not as much COVID spending. But now there's coming more and more uh, uh, releases with the Twitter files and things like that, that there was some understanding that the vaccines weren't as safe as they as uh, they claimed, as some of our leaders claimed. So there could be some major issues with the pharmaceutical companies. They were given immunity and they, they kind of ran a, a truck through that immunity uh, because uh, now it turns out that many of the vaccines weren't near as safe 
there's many people with heart trouble and other things. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. It might be tough going for the pharmaceuticals. Um, I, Chris, I wanted to comment on this whole subject of FTX. We've been pretty silent on this subject. And, you know, we everyone knows we've had uh, discussions about cryptocurrencies on our podcast for many years. I'm an owner of Bitcoin for full disclosure. Uh, and we bought it in 2017. So it's up dramatically from where it was at 1,200 a unit, I believe it was when I got in, went to what, 64,000 a unit. So it was a big win, but now it's come down. But now with this FTX bankruptcy uh, and uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, it's really become a bit of a mess. Um, and, you know, looking at this whole situation, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried or FBF, S, SBF as they're calling him, uh, his girlfriend ran the Alameda Trading Company that did a lot of the trading, but now she's pleaded guilty and detailed how she and SBF conjured up false financial reports. Now, um, it's complicated because uh, they are in headquartered in the Bahamas. So it's only a matter of time before SBF, um, the innocent plea fades as he probably agrees to cooperation to minimize any jail time. Uh, so, you know, basically it looks like they operated that company as a personal piggy bank. Um, he owns uh, 10 homes. He's the second largest donor to one of the political parties. Uh, and in fact, they even masked more donations to the political parties, even more than what was believed. Uh, so they broke uh, election laws there as well, um, allegedly. Uh, they created straw man donors to mask that. So he's engaged in even witness tampering in his in his uh, recent indictment where they're they're uh, doing testimony and he's trying to uh, contact witnesses through some encrypted format format. So it's really a bit of a mess. It's going to roil the uh, crypto markets for a long time. And the one big red flag, as I mentioned, is that they operate they operate out of the Bahamas. I think they knew they were going to do something like this because the rules are a little loose out there, right? So anyway, um, no U.S. protections. And then also the SBF has been writing on Substack. He's been opining on Twitter and all these crazy strategies for someone who's going to be going into a trial. Uh, it's going to be pretty hard for uh, her, the defendant lawyers to protect him. The prosecutor is going to have a field, field day. So it's hard to believe that this guy is plausibly innocent. Um, but nonetheless, we always caution folks, if you get involved in something like Bitcoin, or something very, very risky. It's got to be with only money that you can afford to lose. And no one should bet their whole life on something like this that is somewhat untested. Because um, it is a crapshoot. There's no doubt about it. So, Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I think it's it's highly speculation. I mean, you know, if you're going to put something in that, you might as well, it's the same thing as going to Las Vegas and putting it all in red or black. You know, you could make a lot, but you could just as easily lose a lot. Exactly. A um, couple other comments. Um, President Biden has proposed to extend the halt of student loan payments for another year, and that would cost, uh, according to the scoring, about $400 billion. And so we wanted to comment on that. We've been on pause for student loan payments since the pandemic, March of 20, uh, but the pandemic's over. And so many are wondering why he's doing this. And I'll leave that to your, uh, to the listener to figure that out. Clearly, uh, when you give people money, they're favorable to you. So that could be the reason, I guess. Uh, uh, maybe you can come up with another reason, but clearly uh, the economy is slowing, but it did recover. So people do have a lot of cash. They they are able to make their payments. Uh, unemployment is low. So most fee people should be able to make their payments. So it seems unnecessary to do that. So we're not a fan of that idea. Um, 
I did want to comment also on a really interesting story that we heard about. Uh, we talk all the time about capitalism versus other forms of, of government and, and our economic system that's created the most prosperity of any of any economic system in world history. We talk about socialism and, and, and communism. Well, a lady named Yeoman Park, um, who is an author, uh, lives in New York. She was born in North Korea. She escaped with her mother to China. And then the Chinese sold her mother into sex slavery. So she had, as a teenager, to escape uh, from China through Mongolia. And many folks don't realize that Mongolia is a capitalist country. Uh, so it's not quite like America, but they're trying to mirror the success of the capitalist system of America. And she got through to South Korea. Now she's at Columbia University. And since she lived under communism and went through all the ravages of the communist system, she says she's very scared for America in her recent book. Folks at uh, Columbia support socialism and equity and inclusion without really any thought to what it could do. Um, they're willing to break the, the whole country just for socialism and communism, uh, which makes no sense. So um, the folks that we need another example, the folks that understand the benefits of freedom, liberty, capitalism, uh, and all the things that our freedoms bring us, uh, the ones who understand it the best, who are, are the ones that lived under tyranny. So once again, we have a Yeoman Park, an author who wrote a book about that and has been appearing on a lot of different shows. So um, we, all, we have a lot of folks in Chicago who are Chinese, and those are the folks that will also say, hey, um, be glad you're here. Don't, don't live under communism or socialism in any way. So I just wanted to point that out. We've got another example of that. Um, and last thing I just wanted to comment on, uh, we saw some interesting reports on the best states for minimizing taxes in retirement. So let me, let me name those states, Alaska, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Nevada, South Dakota, and Wyoming. And the three worst states for retirement minimizing taxes are Illinois, California, and New Jersey. No surprise there. Um, now, I recently took a trip to California on business. And when you're not there for a while, it's, it's easy to listen to the national media and get all negative on California, but it is a beautiful state. And there's so much to like about California, but all this is just purely about policy, folks. It's about what, what states tax their people too much. They keep taxing and keep taxing. They raise taxes again, uh, and they have policies that drive people out. So the state may be beautiful. Uh, I believe Illinois, where we live, is beautiful, but uh, the, the tax policies are driving people out of our states into the states where the tax policies are more favorable. So uh, we'll probably continue to see that shift until things change, until uh, some states change their stripes. So anyway, that's uh, our report for today. Chris, um, in the leadership matrix, we did have a few blog posts. We put out a piece about changing uh, taxes. There's a move afoot to get rid of income taxes, believe it or not, and move to value added taxes and retail taxes like they have in Europe. Um, but I, I smell a rat. I think they're going to add the, the retail taxes and not get rid of the income taxes, Chris, but uh, we'll see. But we put, an, <laughs> we put an article out on the leadership matrix about that, just the story of what they're considering. Uh, so have a look at that. And then also on the four-star website and the leadership matrix, we put out an article about how it's time to relearn how to shake hands and work a room. So we've been under pandemic rules for a couple of years and and uh, seems like a lot of people haven't really had business meetings and gone to breakfasts and lunches and and uh, conferences and things like that. Uh, so we put out a piece that talks a little bit about how to do that. 
Um, you know, it's time to go shake hands, go meet people, hug people, all the things that <laughs> that normally happen when people get together, Chris. So mm-hmm. uh, time, uh, it's time to time to get uh, personal again, I guess, right? That's exactly uh, right. And then the last one on the leadership matrix I wanted to point out is we put out a piece about 3D printing. Uh, the uh, 3D printing is obviously where you have a computer that uh, then sends a, a uh, design of a 3D object to a printer that actually creates it. Um, you might remember, uh, folks might remember going to a museum and getting those little plastic figurines and molds that are made, you know, and that's kind of like early gen 3D printing. But this is the kind of stuff they're talking about. They can actually make machines from a computer into a 3D printer. It's not a plastic figurine. It's actually a machine or, or something much more useful than that. But now they've got the compression technology that they can they can do um, the 3D printing across country. You can send to a printer anywhere in the country. It was hard to do that before. So I have an interview. It's a venture capitalist from University of Chicago who's involved in it and uh, very, very impressive. The company's called Mark Forged is the company that's doing most of this work. Um, and then uh, lastly, Chris, uh, we did have a podcast interview that came out with a venture capitalist from New York City. Uh, and uh, we wanted to just get an update on that uh, whole subject. What's the state of the venture capital market out there? Venture capital is part of the early stage formation for companies before they come public, if they ever do. And uh, so it's important that all those parts of capital formation work in an economic environment, whether it be early stage investing, venture capital, all the way to public markets. So um, let's let's um, you know have a listen to that interview, if you would, too. So, Chris, that's a mouthful. I think we're done. Um, uh, why don't we leave it there, huh? Sounds good. Yeah, I think that's about all. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, folks. Uh, for our whole four-star team, Laura, Chris, Christine, Fred, Jack, uh, and, uh, and Jonathan in Chicago, and our East Coast team of Tucker, Brian, and Karen, thanks for being with us today on the Four Star Podcast. Don't forget to give us a five out of five. Tell your friends about Send your friend a copy of our podcast. and. Help us get more and more listeners. Uh, thanks, everybody. We will leave it there. Back shortly with a new episode. Bye-bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.